Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about intelligent design and evolution. Welcome to ID the Future. This is Sarah Chaffee. Today we have on the show with us Dr. Ann Gager, who earned a PhD in zoology from the University of Washington and was a postdoctoral fellow in cell and molecular biology at Harvard. She is Director of Science Communications and a Senior Fellow at the Center for Science and Culture and a Senior Research Scientist at Biologic Institute as well. She joins us to talk about a recent article published on panspermia. Thanks for coming on the show, ID the Future. I'm glad to be here, Sarah. So I've heard that a new paper has been published claiming that life on Earth is the result of panspermia. Can you tell me what panspermia means? It's the idea that life arose in outer space, perhaps simple organic molecules, perhaps viruses, perhaps more complex organisms in the interior of things like comets where there would be liquid water and it would be protected from radiation, etc. And that that life traveled to Earth and was deposited on the Earth by comet bombardments, etc. And the reason for this argument is that scientists acknowledge that it's not possible for life to have arisen on Earth in the time we have by natural Darwinian means. I find that ironic, that scientists would be willing to go to something like panspermia in order to avoid the implications of design. Interesting. So life seeded on Earth from elsewhere in the universe. Mm-hmm. And one, one of the things they say in this paper is that it's a way of getting around the problem of the origin of life by expanding it out from our tiny environment, as they call it, into the whole of the cosmos. You have more space, more opportunities, more potential for rare events to take place. So it's sort of like the multiverse idea to get over fine-tuning. If you increase the number of spaces that can be searched, then you make it more possible for life to have evolved. At least that's the theory. So who published this paper? Do they have a history of promoting somewhat eccentric ideas? Yeah, it's published by a group of 30 scientists. E.J. Steele is the first author. And he is known for his promotion of some ideas that are not considered particularly orthodox. Then the big name is Chandra Wickramasinghe has been advocating panspermia for a very long time. He first wrote on the subject with Frederick Hoyle, uh, who's a famous astronomer well-known for his development of uh, the idea that stars are expanding outward from a, a source, led to the idea of the Big Bang. The idea actually goes way back to the Greeks as far as, as very early beginnings and was reactivated in the 1860s, um, never was popular, and has faced an awful lot of opposition Even some of the most well-known, brightest scientists, though, have recognized that there is a tremendous difficulty in accounting for the origin of life in the time available by Darwinian means. Francis Crick, one of the co-discoverers of the structure of DNA and a Nobel Prize winner, himself embraced something called directed panspermia, where he said that perhaps aliens had 
loaded up rockets with biologic material and shot it off into outer space, assuming that at some point it would contact a planet and be able to develop. I'll say it again. I think that these are very intelligent people and they're looking for a way to keep a naturalistic origin and they don't want to go the direction of intelligent design. Hmm. So they're acknowledging that life could not have come about here on Earth. Yeah. Basically, they say that the probabilistic resources just don't exist. It's interesting to see that in a peer-reviewed journal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting and strange article. Are they talking about the first cells having come from panspermia and then things evolving? Um, yes and no. They talk about viruses invading existing cells. They talk about cells developing in outer space on uh, the interior of comets, for example. They talk about the Cambrian explosion as being the result of multicellular organisms landing on Earth as we pass through a cloud containing a wide diversity of life. Um, Interesting hypothesis, but uh, a little unusual, too. So what about later arrivals? (laughs) Do you mean more complex life than the Cambrian? Well, say, for instance, the octopus. Okay. They make the point that the octopus is a very unique organism and that it differs substantially from other members of its phylum, the mollusk. There is a a significant difference between a squid and an octopus, and an octopus has a very complicated genome. So one of their hypotheses is that octopus embryos could have been encapsulated and landed on the Earth to develop. <laughs> I, I really like that image. I know they didn't say that they parachuted in, but it's sort of an interesting visual image. <laughs> yeah, just octopuses arriving from outer space. Yeah, <laughs> it triggers visions of science fiction movies. What about other sudden breaks that might require explanation? Well, anytime there is a sudden appearance of a new type of organism, they would propose that those sudden breaks would be because of the infusion of information from outer space. So the appearance of bats, they appear suddenly in the fossil record with no known precursors. They're mammals with wings. They're not related to birds. Where did they come from? (laughs) Outer space? Um, (laughs) uh, Once again, the image of bats falling from the sky is interesting. Yeah, it makes me wonder about what they'd say about human consciousness. Uh, they consciousness say, in general. Yeah, in this case, they propose viruses as the means to generate rapid diversity, retroviruses in particular, and also virus-like elementary particles called long interspersed nuclear elements, or lines for short, and short interspersed nuclear elements, or signs for short, these elements, there's a group of them that appeared in humans and another group that appeared in chimpanzees about three to four million years ago, and they propose that that infection, if you want to call it that, caused some rearranging of our genomes and changed gene expression. Now, ironically, 
that may well be true, that the placement of these elements affects gene expression, and when done in a coordinated manner, could lead to the development of humans. But it would only happen if it was directed by an intelligent agent. If you just bombard a genome with viruses, what you'll end up with is a dead organism, not a new one. Has anyone else ever advocated panspermia? Yes. <laughs> In the movie Expelled, at the very end of the movie, Ben Stein was talking to Richard Dawkins and asked him what he thought the origin of life might be, since it was such an incredible chance event. And he said, well, maybe panspermia. Once again, here's a serious scientist, or semi-serious, who won't give up a purely naturalistic explanation. He will not go the direction of an intelligent designer. He will opt for anything else that seems to work. So do you think that this panspermia theory will gain ground in the future? No, I don't. It's, it's the kind of thing that can be taken to explain a lot of miscellaneous observations. For example, the wavelength of emissions from dust particles in the center of the galaxy corresponding to the wavelength for organic material developed from bacteria. Who knows what that means? That's not sufficient evidence, and coincidence is not sufficient evidence to justify a theory like this. What is needed is more. Well, let me back up. Maybe, maybe if pushed hard enough, the general scientific population will go this way if they can find stronger evidence to support it. But right now they're having none of it. Several groups have written articles just really banging hard on these scientists for writing this thing, and it's just generally an object of mockery. And in some sense, I am sympathetic because I know why they're doing it. They want to find an explanation that fits their paradigm. It's interesting that you know other scientists are kind of throwing up their hands at this. Yeah. However, there are a few sort of mainstream scientists who are supporting it. Dennis Noble, who is a physiologist and has gone somewhat astray from the main line himself, has supported them in this work and served, I think, as the editor for their paper. He's more open than most to different ideas. He was at the Royal Society meeting in 2016 where they considered alternatives to Darwinian evolution and had his own paper roundly criticized by some of the mainstream scientists who were there. So everybody's searching, looking mm. for a way to deal with the obvious problems with the data. So it's ABD, anything but design. Yeah. <laughs> yep, ABD. Reminds me of the phrases, you know, wish upon a star or something yeah. that's out of this world, but maybe yeah, yeah, out of uh, this galaxy. <laughs> yeah, and and the the authors know that they're really going far astray. They repeatedly say that they are aware of the mainstream thinking on the origin and evolution of life on Earth, and they even talk about the problem of bias in science that science tends to arrive at a favored description of things and resists change uh, strongly 
I think it was Thomas Kuhn, who said, the historian of science may be tempted to claim that when paradigms change, the world itself changes with them. It's really a tough thing to get a paradigm to switch. It has happened, sometimes quite dramatically, but it's very hard to do. Well, let's hope that things change so we don't just consider the cosmos and otherworldly explanations, but we also consider intelligence as a source. That would be much to be desired. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Dr. Gager. My pleasure. Okay. This has been ID the Future. Thank you for listening. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.